Why do we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to The Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. The Universe Next Door is supported by the C.S. Lewis Society, Trinity College of Florida, and supported by gifts from listeners just like you. Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to the Universe Next Door, where today I'm enjoying a spectacular spring day here in Tampa Bay, and I hope that uh, wherever you are, as you listen to this podcast or this radio broadcast, you're having a wonderful, spectacular spring day as well. How is your spring springing, uh, Nick Shalna? It is springing fantastically. I went golfing yesterday for virtually the first time. Oh my goodness. Perfect weather all day. That must have been a beautiful and fun opportunity. You know, I will not tell you how long it's been since I've been out on the links, but, uh, you know, golfing is a great sport. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And so I'll tell you that up in Columbus, Ohio, I actually did complete and par a 610. Of course, that's a par five. (laughs) If you think of a 610 yards, it should be a par six or something. Wow. Uh, But uh, that was up at uh, Pine Grove in uh, the Canal Winchester area near Columbus, Ohio. But we are uh, excited to report that we had a very, very exciting, very successful visit from Douglas Axe. Douglas Axe, Ph.D. from Caltech. And, I mean, as he was presenting here in Tampa Bay, the case for design from biological complexity, it was something that you think, you know, that, that must be too hard for people to understand. I would say... Everybody understood everything. And as he presented at University of South Florida, and then he moved on to a special seminar we had set up at Bayside Community Church on uh, Bayshore Drive in Tampa, Bayshore Boulevard, uh, right there, the famous place where the, you know, the pirates come in uh, every, every February to Tampa Bay, reenacting the original discovery of Tampa Bay. And then we moved on to a large church in Sarasota, Every stage I was able to be at most of those events was spectacular. And the amazing thing is that Doug Axe's book, Undeniable, has made its mark in Tampa Bay because everywhere we went, we sold out practically of the book because people said, I can understand this because he is explaining it. And, and you know, he, he has a very winsome way. You were able to be with him, with Doug, right? Oh, yeah. No, we had a great time. I got to ask him some questions. He he has an amazing gift for breaking things down for anybody to understand. Absolutely. His book, Undeniable, anyone can read. Students, adults, anyone can mm-hmm. read that book. I, I agree totally. I mean, some people are almost shocked that they can actually understand almost, you know, virtually every page of that book, uh, with the exception of a few paragraphs in Chapter 8. <laughs> you have to slow down in Chapter 8. Got a dictionary. That's right. <laughs> Uh, but Doug Axe was just a great blessing and a, and a great help in this goal of equipping the believers and actually challenging a number of unbelievers who came out along the way uh, to consider the case for a designer, a designer who makes life not only possible, but who manifests through the fingerprints of the intelligence in ca- embedded in those molecular machines, embedded in the code of DNA and proteins, embedded in every nook and cranny of living cells. Through that manifestation of a designer, people think and they really consider, what is his purpose for my life? Has he made a way back? Because we, there's the sin problem. There's the sin 
gulf between us and God, and God has bridged that gulf. And the bridge is a person. It's the person that is Christ. And Christ loved us so much that he came. He sought us out. Uh, we were the lost sheep, and he laid his da- life down for us. And God caused the sin of us all to attack him. And because of his absorbing and paying for and satisfying the righteous uh, payments that sin brings, we can then be received back and become children of God. Wow, that's better than you can even imagine. So we're excited today to be able to talk about this this good news of Christ and especially in connection with the evidence of design in nature. And I'm going to be uh, mentioning a couple you know, key things that I'm working on. And um, I'm going to be talking about the gene regulatory network. And everybody says, what is a gene regulatory network? Well, the GRN is like a circuit board. So if I could actually, you know, include a visual, I would just open up the back of a radio or a TV. Uh, yes, I think people still have radios in the United <laughs> States. I have one. Uh, along, along with text messaging and everything. But, uh, but no, seriously, any electronic gadget, any gizmo that has a series of subunits like diodes and transistors, uh, you know, capacitors, all of them are correct, connected by this pattern. It's very complicated. You know, it's almost like makes your eyes blur just to look at that pattern. But that pattern connecting various electronic units at the bottom of any, you know, um, appliance, that is the, that circuit board is like the circuit board of a cell. We're going to get into that a little bit later, but I've been busy and busier than I can imagine because I'm catching up and staying up with um, what I had on my, you know, as it were, agenda to read from several months ago. So, and what are those books that you've been reading? Oh, thanks for asking. <laughs> so the the first book I'm enjoying, this is a classic. I'll mention two classics, and I'll mention a couple more modern books. Uh, the classic one, of course, is The Soul of Science, and I would recommend this to anyone who wants to understand the the Christian faith in connection with the philosophy of nature. Okay, I'm actually teaching a course here at Trinity College called the um, or issues in rather issues in uh, science and philosophy, and uh, we're actually including the the faith dimension, and so many of these issues intersect three ways: science, philosophy, and faith. That is interaction with scripture, and so the book, the soul of science. It's a strange name, but it's a beautiful name. The mm. soul of science. I was looking at that. The co-authors are Nancy Piercy. Uh, she is a very uh, prestigious, uh, teaches a very prestigious university, Houston Baptist University, holds an endowed chair. She's a scholar in residence there. And Charles Thaxton, Thaxton, T-H-A-X-T-O-N, he is uh, the emeritus, really uh, kind of scholar and founder of intelligent design. He was the one that, that authored that fantastic book, The Mystery of Life's Origin, that sparked the design movement back in the mid-80s. So his effort here on the soul of science, I recommend it highly. The soul of science, Christian faith, and natural philosophy. Uh, you can skip the two chapters on mathematics. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay, another classic that I'm working my way through again is Tim Keller's The Reason for God. Great book. It is a great book. It's a, it's a monumental achievement. Tim Keller, of course, uh, recently uh, resigned. I mean, didn't resign. He just uh, went to um, retirement status, but he, I think he's busier than ever. But he was at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan, New York City. 
and known, of course, for his preaching as well as his writing on apologetics. This book is a gem. I will just say that when he talks about Darwinism and he has a kind of like, well, I think God used Darwinian means, uh, the only way that I would see, if I can just mention this one um, difference between his perspective and ours, is that we believe God may use microevolutionary means, but when you get to macro, you know, the creation of new organs and organisms, uh, surely, surely, that is not something plausible. That is not something scientifically credible to have been produced by a blind chance process of mutations, which are really typographical errors in the individual letters of DNA. So other than that one minor mention uh, halfway through, the book is a, is a gem and very useful to really school us in how to interact not only with traditional atheists and agnostics, but with postmodernists, people who have embra- embraced the idea there is no truth. Hmm. What would you say if someone says there is no truth? Is it is that a truth statement? <laughs> okay. <laughs> is it true think, that there is no truth? I think you just hit the ball out of the ballpark, Nick Shalna. Okay, yeah. So if someone says there is no truth, all we just make up truth, well, how is how true is that? Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Maybe I better reconsider that. So uh, we are progressing, again, uh, with the help of classic books, but also we are aided by modern books. And let me just mention again two modern books, uh, one that I'm starting in for the second time. It's only been out one month, and that is Darwin Devolves. Darwin Devolves. It is a classic. It's a modern classic. I can say that, I think, without fear of uh, contradiction or you know being found wrong in the long run. Because there is a firestorm that has been ignited in the last six weeks since Michael Behe released this, as it were, stellar study of DNA. And he shows not only are the escape routes, as people realize this, this thing is burning down, this, this theory of Darwin is in bad shape. It's fragile, it's collapsing, it is um, literally being obliterated by the scientific data coming in. And yet he uh, examines every escape route, every substitute mechanism that's brought in to replace natural selection. You know, the selection mutation uh, engine is supposedly supposedly a V8 turbocharged engine has conked out. And when you look under the hood, there's nothing there. And so Behe is saying, let's look at these other gizmos that they're sticking in under the hood to try to replace the the decrepit uh, and now discredited engine of mutation and selection, and he shows one by one they don't work. And what's worse, this is the climactic conclusion of the book, Darwin's theory, if it, if it has any value, is only working at the level of, of genus, which is a group of species that are all interrelated, they're very similar, or species levels themselves, and it's creating new, limited, constricted versions of a species that have very brittle nature that is they can't move they're not flexible they can't adjust they're 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 specialized for one little niche and you try to pull them back out of the niche they say uh-uh i'm stuck you know set i'm stuck i'm here in the niche and i can't move back because my dna is broken it's degraded it's blunted or it's totally gone in certain areas so the breaking of genes the literally the blunting or degrading of genes is what's happening and he gives example after example And he says, if you look for new genes that are being knit together by DNA uh, mutation selection, there's nothing, not the slightest bit of information that we see being knit together. We just see things being broken. 
And so that's a major, major, major breakthrough in the study of Darwin's theory and its credibility. But let's move on to something really exciting, something really, to me, amazing and quite uh, positive. And that is the discovery of the DGRN. Now, imagine in front of you DGRN. That's four letters. GRN are capitalized. Okay, remember this. This will be on the midterm. Okay. <laughs> and the GRN stands for Gene Regulatory Network. So picture in your mind again the circuit board. The circuit board. What is a circuit board? It's, a, it's like a hand-drawn network that shows where the electricity goes as it's split apart and sent to this unit. And then it crosses over to that component. And then it, and then it zips over to this side. Uh, and, and activates these two transistors, and then they send the signal to these five locations. Well, whew, I mean, this is too complicated for me, <laughs> but they have actually mapped out, for example, on the sea urchin, the humble sea urchin, they have mapped out the development of that body, of that particular animal, as it develops uh, through literally 90 hours uh, from the original fertilized egg. Now, a sea urchin is not very complex. You've probably seen them in these little aquariums. Oh, yeah. We all love sea urchins. So. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> I so, have seen them. I they're so them. cute. Now, most of them you can't pet if they have those little <laughs> spiny things, right? Not a good idea. Yeah, it's a little bit rough. Okay, but sea urchins are, are, are very significant. They're very interesting. I'll just call them that just to prevent from anything negative. Uh, but sea urchins are, are what they are. They're, they're fascinating animals. And you would think that that simple level of life, there would be a simple circuit board that maps out uh, the gene regulatory network. Now, I, I have to go back because I left one letter out. The GRN is capitalized, and in front of that is a little lowercase d. And the d stands for developmental. Okay, let's say that together. Developmental, okay, Nick. Developmental, developmental thank you, of the audience. Developmental yeah, yeah, <laughs> gene, gene regulatory, regulatory network. network. Okay, you got it. Okay, I'll give you a B plus on that. Nailed it. Okay, yes. so the developmental D, GRN, gene regulatory network, is something that scientists have stumbled on. Eric Davidson and his team, I believe at Caltech, worked on this over a period of many years. And after studying... These genes in the sea urchin, and all these genes do is they set up the foundation for all the cells and tissues to then grow to maturity. So this is like, it's like a, um, a boss of a, of a building site. He's like the assigned contractor or subcontractor who stands there with his hard hat, you know, and his jeans or whatever, and he's saying, okay, you over here, bring this over there. And now you put that in there. Okay, you start digging the foundation. Okay, you back, back up that truck of concrete. He's directing the traffic around the most fundamental stages, the beginning part of that building. That's what the GRN, in this case the DGRN, Developmental Gene Regulatory Network, it actually sets up the body that's being built. Now, you would think that this is a kind of a simple process, maybe a half a dozen genes. Now, let me just stop for a second. Um, genes are simple or complex? Which do you say? Very complex. Okay. And why would you say that? By the way, it's the correct answer. So congratulations, you're on a roll. Uh, why are they complex? In what way why do we say they're complex? What are they made up of? 
uh, they're made up of information. Very good. Patterns of information. Very good. Very good. Okay. So the pattern of information in a gene is arranged in a sequence, very precise, like letters spelling out some message on a text that you're sending to your grandmother saying, happy birthday, you know, but you don't want to say, you know, globally gluk gluk, you know, to your grandmother. She's going to say, what is this? It has to be H-A-P-P-Y, happy, B-A-I-R-B-I, excuse me, B-I-R-T-H-D-A-Y, birthday, right? And hopefully that you're, as you hit the wrong letters from time to time, hopefully your text uh, function doesn't put in other words. Uh, I just got from my granddaughter, Kaylee Jade, she's sending me something from Kansas, <laughs> it was completely wrong. It was supposed to be a recipe, <laughs> and she was trying to try to write recipe, but her her text message system put in recipient. Recipient. Yeah. So it was the cookie recipient. Like, cookie <laughs> recipient. And my I'd wife like said, to be one of those. Yeah, I'd like to be a cookie recipient too. But but she wore the cookie recipe, and, and so that's that's where we were heading. And then finally we figured it out, and then we sent her the cookie recipe this morning. Well, it's the same way with genes. They are complex. Each gene, a short gene is about 100, excuse me, 300 letters in the actual DNA rungs. If you think of the DNA and then split it apart like you would unzip a zipper, take one side of that zipper, and each of those teeth represent one letter. And 100 is really incredibly short. 300 is really in the normal short range. And then you get up to anywhere from 1,000 to 5,000. And are you ready for this? The Titan gene has 130,000. Wow. 130,000 letters, that would be like, you know, half of a book. Yes, you're right. All transmitted perfectly. It's important because yeah. that sets up the protein. Each of, each of those uh, letters constitutes one letter in a three-letter word. So if you have, let's say, 30,000 in the, in the case of the Titan gene, part of that gene is 30,000 letters, and that's actually 10,000 words. In the in the in the in the word uh, three letter word structure. Okay, too much technical stuff. I'm back to <laughs> live action now. And so what we have in these genes, each of these genes on this chart. Now let me show this chart. You can't see it through the obviously the way we're broadcasting, which is audio. But is that a pretty impressive chart, Nick? Oh, that is a very impressive chart. I, I wonder if I can get this picture up here under the podcast description. Let's do that. Okay, so we will make every effort to put this chart in on our podcast page at apologetics.org. It's hurting my brain just looking at it. Yes, it's okay. incredible. And, and uh, Paul Nelson, who's one of the top scholars in the ID movement, PhD from the University of Chicago in the philosophy of biology, he sent me this chart, and I literally boggled. I mean, I was my mind almost shut down. I said, this is the DGRN for just a humble sea urchin? That's wow. almost un, you know, unconceivable. Darwin's day. What do you do? You think they saw this in a sea urchin? <laughs> well, again, Darwin. That's that's a good question. In Darwin's day, they didn't have one ten thousandth of the understanding of yeah. how complex and multi-part, you know, specified functional complexity they would have at the at the root of life, at the very core of this spectacular network of machines. You don't just have one machine. In this case, this is like a machine, but it's a, a network of genes that are wakening up or, or, or charging and setting in motion other genes, which then know exactly who to wake up next. And this pattern, this network, goes on over a period of 90 hours. 
it goes through one, two, three, four, five, six, seven stages. Do you see the seven stages over there on the yeah. left? And if you look, there are these these genes actually have different functions segregated by the blue, the yellow, and the pink region. I counted up. Nick, are you ready? I'm there ready. There are 97 genes wow. in this one DGRN. And here's where it's deadly for Darwinism. This is very sobering information. So if you do embrace, to some extent, a Darwinian explanation of life, uh, you better brace yourself. This is going to be a little bit of bad news. Every single gene in the DGRN must say, stay untouched because if you try to evolve it, if you try to mutate any one of these 97 genes, the basically the sea urchin says, sorry, I'm out of here, I'm dead. And it, just, it just stops. It stops in its tracks. It cannot progress. And yet, and here's where it's really, 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 really bad news for neo-Darwinism. What you have to change if you want to redo the structure, if you want to evolve it in any fundamental way, you have to tweak the developmental Gene Regulatory Network, or the D, little d, GRN, capital G-R-N-N. If you want to change the DGRN, any one of those 97 genes, this is just for a humble sea urchin. Imagine what the DGRN is for a human being. I can imagine it's probably 200 genes, maybe, you know, 300. So what you're finding now is, and Stephen Meyer talks about this in his book, in his Cambrian Explosion, discussion book. Um, it's called Darwin's, uh, Darwin's Doubt. Darwin's Doubt. Uh, it's a tremendous book. So uh, Steve Meyer basically says, because of what we learned about the DGRN, the Developmental Gene Regulatory Network, the circuit board that sets up the structure of the animal, we know that if you try to mutate any of those genes, they're lethal. And this is at the embryo stage, and so they have come up with a name. They're called embryonic lethals. That is, any mutation that really meddles with the embryo stage in this network of genes, it immediately kills the animal. Um, question. If it kills the animal, you're trying to you know mutate it and evolve it. Mm-hmm. How well is that going to uh, carry the change to the next generation? Not very well. Okay, and why? <laughs> or at all, because and it's dead. It's <laughs> yeah. Ding, 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 ding. And this, it's proposed that all of this is with no mind. Be- I mean, your your granddaughter's text message had a mind behind it. Exactly. And there was a lethal mistake. I mean, imagine no mind behind that. Yes. Yeah, it was almost lethal. We were able oh, to cover it. Not yeah. literally lethal. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> Cookies it was, weren't it was poisoned. To, but... Yeah. So, and and again, you know, and, and as we're, we have just, uh, just a, about a minute left here, I want to just emphasize how exciting this is for those who have, you know, without knowing any science, Without knowing that much about genetics, you know, DNA, RNA, proteins, or, or what the DGRN, those who have stuck true to Scripture are excited or should be exploding with thankfulness to our Creator for revealing His power and His goodness and His greatness through us as we are discovering this thing called the Developmental Gene Regulatory Network. And I really am excited. Uh, Nick, thank you for the, the pledge. So within the next uh, maybe three or four days, uh, maybe by early next week, we can have mm-hmm. this up on our podcast. I think it's very worthy of being placed there in a prominent place because the good news, and let me just bring it back to the person of Christ. The good news is that Christ, when he was creating you know, new bread and new fish to feed the 5,000, he knew all about because he was the author of the DGRN. 
Wow. He was the author of all hundred and thousand, uh, you know, species of 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 beetles and eight thousand species of bats and and birds, uh, and numerous thousands of species of birds and many species of all kinds. But he's the one that also redeemed the human kind from the quagmire of sin, paid for our sins on the cross, and then rose from the dead, conquering death, and is offering eternal life. And you can learn more about that by just visiting us. Send us a quick shout at information at apologetics.org. We're glad to send you some information how you can check out this amazing truth of the author of life. Christ is the author of eternal life. It's a free gift. Grab it today from his hand offered to you. See you back here next week on The Universe Next Door. You've been listening to The Universe Next Door with Dr. Tom Woodward, sponsored by the C.S. Lewis Society and Trinity College of Florida and supported through the gifts of listeners just like you. To gather resources, continue the conversation, and support The Universe Next Door with your financial gifts, go to apologetics.org. That's apologetics.org. And join us again next time as we continue to seek the truth about life, faith, and worldview in The Universe Next Door. Next door.